Well, hello there. Fancy meeting you here. My name is Tommy Jones, and this is my podcast. So let's take a few minutes, talk about life, and we will see where we end up. Welcome to Off the Cuff. I'm glad you're here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Tommy. Per usual, I am your host. All right, so let's jump right into this. Uh, I'm in the midst of a series on living a kingdom life. And this is actually, I'm doing this series in the podcast. It's also a series we're doing on Sunday mornings. Um, If you don't go to uh, our church, it's the series we're doing at Grace Church on Sunday mornings. That's the church where I'm the pastor. And so it's been fun to sort of supplement back and forth between the sermon and the podcast as we think about what it means to live a kingdom life. The summary of this is basically this, that when we give our lives to Christ, we are transformed, we are changed, we are different, we are new creatures. And so the old me, the me before Jesus, probably had a bunch of different buckets in life, a family bucket and a job bucket and a relationship bucket and a you know, whatever, a hobby bucket. The theory is, what we believe, the truth is, is that once you give your life to Christ, your life is no longer classified by a bunch of different buckets. There's one bucket, and that bucket is kingdom, and everything is in that because everything is surrendered to the rule and reign of Christ. And so as we are living into this new life where everything belongs to God, we must learn how to surrender all of these different aspects of our life to the glory of God. And so that's what we're talking about. Last week, I talked about what this looked like as far as having like a kingdom mindset, being open-minded and listening to other people. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't. But today, we're going to move forward and talk about a new topic. Today, what I want to talk about is parenting uh, in the kingdom, meaning if we believe that our kids are actually gods, that they're not ours alone, but that even our children are actually surrendered to the rule and reign of Christ. What does that look like as far as parenting? I think one of the things we have to remember is that when we talk, if we believe this, if we, if we accept this as truth, that our kids are God's first, that, uh, you know, the children we have are God's gift, and he has given us these kids to steward as a resource for the kingdom, that it's not just about carrying on my family name, that I have children for the purpose of raising these kids up to be warriors in the kingdom of God. What does it look like? How do I parent if that's what I believe? And so I want to just kind of talk through a few things that I have learned as a parent. And I am not a parenting expert by any stretch, Um, but I am a pastor who is raising kids and who's talked to a lot of people and who's seen a lot of other kids. So I do think I have some insight in this, although I'm not, you know, probably ever going to write a book on parenting. I do have some insight into this. And so mainly what I want to do is just kind of share some of the lessons I've learned with you. And so let, let me start by sharing a story of one of my, this is like, as I think through, so I have a son who's 18 uh, and I have a daughter who's 10 and as I think back over the years of parenting, one of, the, one of the stories that I always remember, which to me was a story of great failure, happened one night. My son played on uh, the ninth grade basketball team. I think it was ninth grade for Sheridan. Good team, good guys, great kids, loved them. But we didn't always win. And so one night we were playing against another school. I think we were playing against Mills on this particular occasion. And I go to the game and 
as soon as I walked in, I knew how this game was going to go. I mean, I looked at their team, and I looked at our team. Their team looked more athletic. Uh, they were taller. They were faster. And their little pregame warm-ups, they were like doing 360 dunks, you know, and our guys were just kind of doing layups or whatever. It looked like, um, oh gosh, what's it? It looked like Space Jam's except for our team didn't have LeBron James or Michael Jordan. It was just a bunch of bunny rabbits versus a really good-looking team. That's sort of what I thought. And so what exactly what I expected to happen happened. We got smoked. Uh, it wasn't close. And after the game, my son gets in the car, and we're riding home, and he's just angry because he's so competitive, and, and, and I get that. You know, it was like so tense in the car. And finally I looked at him, and I said, Hey, listen, dude, you are the fifth best player on a team that wasn't even in the ballpark of the team y'all played smile and get over it i mean what what like that was my advice he cared and i'm you know i'm gonna basically tell him he i mean it, it was a horrible parenting move and caden if you're listening i'm sorry that was a poor choice I, and i'm i should apologize to you for a thousand things that i probably did like that i remember one one day kenley came home from school and kenley's my, my daughter and she came home from school and she was really upset. And I said, what happened? And she basically told me that the teacher had said that she was being ugly. And I knew what the teacher meant. But what Kinley heard wasn't your being ugly. What Kinley was hearing and how she was processing that was the teacher is saying that I am ugly. And so I think the first lesson that I really want to talk about for just a minute on parenting is be careful what you say to these kids. Be careful how you speak over them. Um, be careful what words we're using. Be careful how we're uh, speaking to them after a loss or after a win. Like, we are responsible for the words we speak over these kids. I mean, I think if, if we believe that these kids are God's gifts in our life and we're stewarding them for God, then one day we will stand in front of God and answer for the words we spoke over them. And so if you're speaking words that are putting labels on them or, or speaking words that are, that are knocking them down, and we've all done it, we've all gotten mad and said, you know, oh man, you're being dumb or, or whatever. But I just think one of the first things we have to do is learn to stop and think before we speak. Because really, most often when we're the angriest with our kids, what are we really angry at them for? And, and I'm willing to bet, and I know I've experienced this, maybe you have, so many times when I'm the angriest at my kid, what I'm angry about is them acting like me. But like the part of me that I don't like. It's like so often our, little, our kids, when they're growing up, they're little caricatures of our worst trait magnified with a, a frontal lobe that's not fully developed in a in a you know tenuous uh, new relationship with Jesus. And so when I'm the angriest at my kids and when I'm probably the most likely to speak words that I regret is probably when they're acting the most like that part of me that I wished. I mean imagine being in a car with the part of you that drives you the most nuts and it doesn't know how to um it doesn't know how to slow down or it doesn't know how to focus and it doesn't know how to find that peaceful place. And so that part of you that's the craziest, that part of you that's the most neurotic, that part of you that's the most annoying is just going 900 miles an hour. Welcome to parenting. All right, that's the first thing. And I think I learned that one uh, from failure more than success. So I think the first one is be careful what you speak because you will be accountable to God for the words we speak over these kids. Second one is this, and I think this is a one where I actually kind of learned from success. Be available for your kids 
without being pushy. And so let, let me sort of talk through it like this. One of the, I think the best things I did as a parent, Caden played football. And after a football game, he did not want to dissect the game if they lost. Unfortunately, his team didn't win a whole lot. And so he would come home at night and I would always, I had a rhythm. I would text him after the game and say, hey bud, what do you want to eat? Because I knew he was going to be hungry. And most often it was something simple like eggs and rice. But if he said, hey, pork chops, and we had pork chops, and I'd make him, that'd be 10, 1030 at night. But I would always cook him a meal. I would stay up. When he got home, I would say, hey bud, here, here's your food. Good game. And then I would basically leave him alone. If he wanted to talk, I would be available. But if he didn't, I allowed him that space. Now, there are times and places where I think you have to force your kids into a conversation where you say, hey, you are going to talk this out with me. And one of the things I will not tolerate as a parent is speaking to my child and them not speaking back. And by the way, if you have a kid who's doing that, man, get them to stop. That is a, that is a bad habit. Uh, there are kids at, uh, that I see who are in junior high and high school who I speak to and they just look at me. That is unacceptable. Uh, when an adult speaks, they must speak back. But when it's my, when it's your son or your daughter, uh, there's one thing to be, you know, disrespectful. Talk to them; they don't talk back. There's another thing to try to push them into conversations because we just want to know and we just want to learn, and they're just not in that space, especially with teenagers. I think you have to create spaces where you're available, and then allow them to know that you're safe. And then when the time is right, they'll open up. And that would most often happen between me and Caden. We were fishing or hunting or something like that. And then he'd open up and, and I would just listen. And even then I wouldn't ask a thousand questions. I would ask enough to keep the conversation going, but I would really allow him to dictate the terms of the conversation. And so for me, I found that being available, um, creating safe spaces was far more effective than trying to badger them into conversations. And so I would say be available without being pushy. Another lesson I, I think I've learned is say yes when you can. Now, we're going to talk about saying no in a minute, but when you can say yes, say yes. I think as parents, sometimes our default response to our children becomes no, you know, because they ask for so many dumb things. And that's not knocking kids. They do. They ask for dumb things. You know that you were a kid. Try saying yes when you can. If it doesn't hurt them, and if it's okay, and if it doesn't really matter, why not just say yes? Um, I mean, a lot of times what they're asking for isn't really that big of a deal. And so I think when we can say yes, we probably should say yes. And I think that begins to build a, a, level, of, um, a level of openness. I mean, imagine every time you talk to someone, they said no. You're not even really listening. You're just saying no. Gosh, what a horrible experience. But I think when we get the opportunity to say yes to our kids. It's fun. As a matter of fact, I might even recommend having some yes days. And I would consider a yes day like, okay, Kenley, what do you want to do? And she gets to decide. And then we go. And I say is yes, I say yes to as many things as I possibly can during that period of time. She basically dictates the evening. As long as it's safe and as long as it's within the sandbox that I have created, say yes. Here's another one. I think this is so important. And like, this is probably one where, in my opinion, I see the most parents struggle. You do not have to be your child's best friend. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't be your child's best friend. Your best friend should probably be their spouse. And if you're not married and you're single raising a child, then your best friend should be some other adult. 
but your child is not your best friend. That is not healthy for your child. It is not healthy for your child for you to confide all of your struggles and everything on them. It is not healthy for your child to be raised by their best friend. Man, I mean, I think back, honestly, the, the, my six best friends in high school, if one of them had been my parent, yikes. And I love all those guys. If I had been their parent, yikes. Kids don't need to be raised by a buddy. They need to be raised by a parent. Buddies agree with everything. Buddies don't really challenge you very much, you know, or at least in high school. Real friends should, but parents are different than friends. And I see so many parents that don't want to challenge their kids and don't want to say no. And, and, you know, they're the cool parent where the kids can come to the house and, you know, do whatever. That's not what your kids need. That, that, that is a failed plan for parenting based on everything I have ever seen. Your kids do not need you to be their best friend. They need you to be their parent. And I think that moves into this next one, which means you don't have to trust everything your kids say. I believe that protection in, in the parent-child relationship is probably more important than trust. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, if, if your kid has a cell phone and there's no parental locks on it, especially if they're a boy over the age of probably nine and there's no parental protection on that phone at all, I don't care what they say. They are going to look at things that are going to harm them. I mean, that's just kids are curious. And it's probably the same thing for girls, too. There must be parental protections on that phone if you're going to allow them to have it. And, and, you know, and I know I may get some pushback on this one, and I'm okay with that. But I didn't live in a world where everything my kids said I had to agree with and trust. As a matter of fact, we drug tested Caden. He didn't do drugs. Never even thought he was. But every now and then I would just say, all right, ma'am, we're going we're gonna to do a drug test. And the reason I did it was so that he would know that I would do it. It wasn't because I didn't trust him. It wasn't because I was trying to be, the, you know, the, the Gestapo or whatever. It was because I wanted to create an environment where there was accountability. And anything in his room that we wanted to look through, we could. And same with Kinley. Anything in her room that we want to look through, we can. We made a decision recently to give her a phone because we thought she was going to be riding a school bus. That phone is ours to look through anytime we want. I have no uh, respect for her privacy as it pertains to that phone or her room or anything else in her life, quite frankly. And I think that's okay. I think that's healthy. Um, I think parents who aren't locking down the phones that we're giving kids, and we're probably giving them to them way too early anyway, but if we're not locking those things down, then we are setting them up for a fall. I think that's dangerous. It's same thing with social media and kids. Uh, I, we made a mistake, in my opinion, and I think Christy would agree with me with Caden. We let him have social media too early. Now, he turned out great by the grace of God, but I think we made a mistake in that area. And I don't. maybe it's even different with boys and girls. I, I don't know. But I hope that, and I think Christy and I are getting on the same page. We don't want Kinley to have social media until she's 16 or 17. I just don't see how it helps her. I don't see how her having access to TikTok or Instagram or you know, certainly not Snapchat, I don't see how that is helpful for a young girl. I see all these girls, you know, and they put pictures on and they're so desperate for the likes and, and it's like their pictures get progressively more risque or whatever as they want more likes and, and the rest of us are just unfollowing all these people because they're getting so far out there. Of course, I see grown folks do the same thing. 
but I don't see how this social media comparison thing is healthy for a young girl growing up. And so we're going to not allow Kinley to have social media until we believe she's old enough to handle it. And maybe for you, you're like, man, that's so over the top strict. Okay, whatever. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not hiding her from the world or anything. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel like a helicoptering over her. We have great conversations and, and I have purposely, our children are in public schools because we believe it's our job. And this is not a knock on people in private schools. I get it. But for us, the choice to keep them in public school is a choice to raise them up so that they're out in the world. And Kinley sees things in school that she might not see in other schools. But even that gives us opportunities to have conversations about loving people and, and showing her the biblical truth around whatever you know behavior or things she has seen, but also the biblical truth around love people. And so even having her in the world is a teaching moment. But in other ways, I'm going to protect her for as long as I can because that's my job, to protect her and to prepare her. Uh, to wash her with the word, to help her. Um, and that, that brings us to another thing. Are we praying with our kids? Are we praying with them? Are we spending time raising them up to, to have a life that's centered around Jesus? I mean, I think we could all probably look at the amount of time we spend uh, preparing our kids athletically or maybe even preparing our kids scholastically. Are we spending half that amount of time preparing them spiritually? Are we having the conversations that we need to have with our kids so that they're prepared to survive in a world that does not understand our morals and values? Are we having the conversation necessary with our kids so that they can go out into the schools and be agents of change and agents of love and agents of peace? And we're certainly, you know, I can't be with my kid 24-7, and I know uh, both of my kids have done some things that were not Christ-like. So have I. And, and I get that. And they're not going to be perfect. And there is no expectation of perfection from me. But I do believe there's an expectation from God on me to do my best to raise them up in a way that leads to life. And so is that a, a, a purposeful part of my time with my kids, that I'm talking to them about God and, and talking to them about Jesus and not just dropping them off at church and telling the youth pastor, hey, it's your job to, to teach my kids about Jesus, or telling Brantley and Clarissa, hey, it's your job to teach my little kids about, about Jesus. No, it's my job. And so is that a part of my job that I'm taking seriously? Last thing I want to talk about is this, and, and I'll be brief because I know I'm almost to 20 minutes, but... I didn't get Caden until he was six years old. I married Christy, and Christy was a single mom. Uh, let me just say this. I believe there is a kingdom mandate when you uh, marry a, a woman who has a child or, or when a woman marries a man who has a child. I believe that you're not just choosing that person. You're also choosing that child. And I think it is our job as blended parents to make sure that that child feels wanted. And I will say this. I've failed in a lot of areas. But I always treated Caden as if he was my own. As a matter of fact, I remember, and his dad did an amazing, his dad gets massive kingdom credit too for allowing me to do that. I remember the first time I really had a, a severe discipline issue where I really had to do something. I had to discipline Caden. And I called his dad and I said, man, what do you want me to do here? And his dad, with this beautiful, selfless kingdom mindset, said, Tommy, when he's with you, you are his dad. Act like it. 
And so I purposely built a relationship with the other parent. And I know that's not always possible, but when it is, do it. And I purposely built a relationship with his biological dad's family. And I think that's been so meaningful in our life. And again, I know that's not always possible. I get that. But I think there are some things that are possible. And one of would be never bash the biological parent if you're a step-parent. Be careful what you say. Because that biological parent is still part of that child's identity. And so I never had a reason to bash Caden's biological dad. So it's been really easy for me. Because again, Caden has a great dad. But in your case, I think we need to be careful what we're speaking. And I think we need to always make sure. Man, I grew up, one of my best friends had a stepdad who never even spoke to him. And it was so weird. It was horrific in that house. I think we need to make sure that a child that's not ours, although we've married their parent, that they believe they are ours, that they are treated. They are just like we are grafted into this family of God and we are adopted as sons and daughters. And then we're given the same you know, position as Christ with God, that, that when we bring a child into our family, when I, when I marry that spouse, that kid knows they are mine. And I do my best to woo them and love them. And I know sometimes that can be hard. But that is what you signed up for when you married someone who had a child. And so I just think we need to try our best in in these blended situations to really love uh, the child that God is allowing us to steward. Because whether it's our biological child or or, or one we got through marriage, I still think the expectation from God is the same. So again, guys, these are just some thoughts on parenting for me. Um, It's a tough role, uh, but I think there's great value in it, and I think it's important. Um, I think, you know, I think maybe there is a day, and my mom would disagree with me on this. My mom would still say, I'm not your friend, and maybe that's true, but maybe when your kid's out of the house and grown up, then you can kind of work on the friendship. But I think they need parents, especially today. I think they need structure, especially today. I think they, I think they find security in, in rules and in, in these things and in understanding and consistency. Parents who are consistent. Gosh, man, there's so many ways we could go on this, but uh, man, there's a there's a book from uh, oh gosh from Paul David Tripp, I think, and it's a great book about kingdom parenting. And I'll I'll uh, tag it in the in my um, notes here so that you can go read that book, but it's a fantastic book and I can't remember the name, but I'll tag it in the notes so you can see it. But I hope this has been helpful. I've enjoyed this conversation as always. Um, And you know, here's the other thing, man. If you failed in this area, so have I. Always offer yourself grace. Um, Maybe, you know, you look back and you're like, I was a terrible parent. Okay, well then be a better grandparent. You know, ask God for forgiveness and receive that grace. Or, Or maybe you can't be a parent or a grandparent. Can you mentor some kids? And take these same principles and, and use them as you mentor. There's so many kids in this world who need someone to step into their life and love them. And God always gives us another chance if we want it. And so just because we made some mistakes in life, it doesn't mean the story's over. Uh, that's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. So just be aware and look for an opportunity. All right. I've enjoyed this. I'm actually learning as I talk. And, and um, I'm thankful that I serve a God who's full of grace because... Um, he's done amazing things, even in spite of my ignorance. I love you guys, and I will talk to you soon. As always, Jones out.